Well, it's been a few weeks, uh, but last time we were looking at uh, the life of Joseph and how he flowed in wisdom. And we considered the how he had the mantle of wisdom that came upon him and just led and governed his life. And he flowed in the anointing of wisdom. And that's you know, what Pharaoh saw upon him that caused him to be chosen as the leader under him, you know, leader over Egypt. And, you know, he saved the nations, the nation of Egypt and the nations and, and the people of God because of that. But that, that theme of wisdom kind of has been sticking with me the last few weeks. And I, I just wanted to bring out another aspect of that and, and something that's very clear Almost, I mean, as much as there's there's certain characters, you know, God is using them for, and he has a specific plan. And that it's like God just orchestrated that plan through these miraculous circumstances. You know, you see that in the life of Moses, and you definitely see that in the life of Joseph, right? God had a plan for him. And he, in some areas, he didn't give Joseph much of a choice, you know. But yet in other areas, Joseph had to choose to accept the circumstances he was brought in, and then, you know, embrace it, follow it, flow in it. And he did that. And so God gave Joseph a plan for his life, but he also gave, gave him everything he needed to fulfill that plan. He gave him gifts and abilities, right? The, the interpretation of dreams and wisdom to fulfill that plan. And what God has kind of been oppressing upon me is that he has a plan for each of our lives. It's a plan written before the foundation of the world. And isn't, I mean, but just think about that. Here we are in Clearwater, Florida. I don't know, was anyone born in Florida? I don't know if anyone in this room was born in Florida. Right? That's right, Ashley was born in Florida, yeah. But, you know, but here we are, all born in different states and different places, but before the foundation of the world, it was written we would be here in Clearwater, Florida because we're a part of God's plan. And I think all of us can say we're flowing in God's plan for our lives. And that's so important and so vital. When someone is outside of the plan of God, it's almost like you're outside of the covering of God and it just opens the door for trouble for the enemy to work, for, you know, circumstances to arise, stumbling blocks, and all of, all of the unpleasant things of the Christian life, you know, you can think of. And so, you know, the, you could entitle this message, God's plan of wisdom. Because God has a plan for our lives, but he has a plan, you know, I believe, in, even in just the situations we face. You know, the reality is we can choose to walk according to God's plan or to our plan. I think all of us have a kind of an idea of what happens when we choose our plan, right? And the Bible is pretty explicit. He says, mankind, you don't know your steps. It's not in man. It's like God withheld that ability from us to, to determine our own way or, to, or even to determine the right way. It can only come from God into our hearts. And so the reality is there's some people that just, they make the choice, oh, I'm going to walk my way. 
And so they kind of stumble through life and try and figure things out and experience a lot of hardships and difficulty. In fact, if they don't experience hardships and everything works out fine, I think that's the judgment of God. Because what are they doing? Everything's great doing it their way. When someone is living that kind of a life, I, I fear for their eternity. If, if things don't go well, when you're walking your own way and you feel have lots of troubles, I think that's God trying to get their attention. And that's his mercy. But we don't want to, we don't want either of those outcomes. We want, we want the blessing of God by walking in his plan. But the thing is, is we need the wisdom of God to flow with that, to know what is his plan, and then so we can make the right decisions. And there's a lot of safety in that. You know, I talked about. If you're outside of the plan of God, it's like you're outside of the covering. But when you're walking according to God's plan of wisdom for your life, it's a shield and a covering. It brings certainty in uncertain times. And I think we are entering into uncertain times, as you can see around the world and our nation and so forth. But Proverbs 3.21, it says, My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. And then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. Boy, I want that. I want to enter into that blessing, right? And what is the blessing? It's that where whatever way you're walking, you'll walk safely. You won't stumble. You won't trip up. You know, you won't make huge mistakes that bring consequences. But when does that happen is when, when you keep sound wisdom, right? That, that thought of safety, of a, of a foundation, it's firm. So it will keep our foot from being caught from the snares of the enemy, uh, cause us to walk safely, and it kind of goes on in the proverb, we won't be afraid of sudden terrors or trouble from the wicked, but we will have confidence of safety because we're walking in God's way of wisdom. Now we can see a contrast in the days of the judges, right? If you're like, well, what's, what's, you know, what's the example of some walking in wisdom like Joseph? Well, what's, what's some, the example of the people of God not walking in wisdom? That's judges. That's basically the whole book, right? That, it, well, there's cycles, right? Because at times they do walk you know, because they have a good judge and that judge is telling them the way to go and the ways of God and they follow it. But that's only after they've walked in error and they suffer for it and they cry out to God. And so he brings them a righteous judge. And then after that judge dies, it's a nosedive down back into their own ways. Uh, and so it was a cycle of that. And in fact, the theme of the book of Judges is the last verse. And in fact, it's the last phrase of the verse. Judges 21, 25. And I'll read the whole verse, but it says, in those days there was no king, right? There was uh, no one to lead them in that sense as, as a king, but everyone did what was right in their own eyes. If you could said, what's the theme verse of Judges? <laughs> That's it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They determined their own pathway. They made their own decisions. They'd be faced with a situation, and instead of looking to heaven for counsel, 
or asking it of the godly priests or going to his tabernacle, they would have said, well, what do I feel like doing? What seems right to me that I, that I would like to do, that I want to do? Now, that's natural. The scary, that's the scary thing is, is that's what we will fall back on if we don't determine to seek God. You know, I, I always respect Joshua because the closing message he left Israel with is he basically said, you know, and he knew, he, he knew the prophecies of Moses that Israel was going to go their own way. And, and he basically said, well, you guys are going to do your own thing, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will walk in his plan and in his purpose. You know, we have to have that spirit and develop that spirit in this day if we're going to walk in that way of safety, right? Because judges, it just opened the door for the enemy, didn't it? The enemy had times of free reign in the land, and it was uh, a very scary time. But those who walked in wisdom had safety. Of course, then, then we can contrast that with the time that came after of someone who walked in wisdom and considered the plan of God, and that was King David, right? Because he would come to the Lord and say, Lord, what's your plan? How should I fight? What's the plan of, of action? What's the battle plan? And he always was able to lead his nation to victory by following heavenly wisdom. You know, the, this message was actually kind of inspired. I was kind of challenged. Um, I can't remember if I was listening to a message or reading one of Pastor Bailey's books, and he had this little phrase. I think it was a book, and, and, he, and something jumped out. He said, one of the secrets to success in life, and when Pastor Bailey says that, you're like, oh, what's a secret to success? And he said this, it's find out what is the plan of God. You want to be successful in life? And I, the real implication is in the Christian life. If you want to be successful as a Christian, and successful means if you want to be an overcomer, you want to conquer, you want to have joy, you want to have peace, you want to have the blessing of God, you, you ask the question, Lord, what is your plan? What's your plan you know, for my life, that's, that's an important question to ask, Lord, what, what's your plan for me? And he'll give us a, a sense of what he wants us to do, where he wants us to be, you know, what he's calling us in the general sense. But, you know, something Pastor Bailey's bringing out is, you know, even in decisions, you want to say, Lord, how does this flow with your plan? You know, Lord, is, what is your plan for me in this situation? You know, a decision to make sure I go on this trip or maybe for a young person, Lord, is this the career you want for me? Because, right, that sets you on a pathway or, um, or maybe a relationship, friendship. Lord, what is your plan? Or maybe someone just asks your, your opinion about something. And, you know, even with that, we want to be careful. We want to check it, you know, maybe send a quick prayer up to heaven and say, Lord, what do you think about the answer I should give? What's your plan? You know, David, that was his recipe for success, you could say. You know, and we kind of look to him as that example. He was the man who got his battle plan from the Lord. But I also think he did that because he, he learned some lessons along the way too. 
right? And, and there was one lesson where he didn't do it and he paid a big price. And I want to just consider that for a moment. You know, when you read about one of his accounts, you know, there's, there was a period where he was king in Hebron for seven years and he was in a position where the nation was starting to come together and unifying and things were going so well. I mean, they were on a pathway to becoming a united kingdom. And, and then they, they did. The tribes came and said, David, we want you to be our king. And they were flown together. Then they came to Jerusalem and defeated the Jebusites. And, you know, Jebusites, of course, speak of discord. And so they were defeating the enemy of discord or disunity. You know, for, our, for, for the church of the last days, God is going to defeat that enemy. Which is kind of like, how are you going to do that one, Lord? That'll be the, the great miracle of the age of the church, that he's going to defeat the enemy of disunity. You know, because uh, I think the, the enemy is deathly afraid of, of a church that comes to unity. Because when discord is defeated, God can do anything through that group of of saints. You know, it's kind of like after the flood in a negative sense, right? The, the whole earth was united together for one purpose and it was to rebel against the Lord. It was to build the Tower of Babel and, you know, uh, build a tower to their own greatness and, you know, not the worship of God. And, and it, Lord records this in Genesis 11, how he looked down um, in Genesis 11, 6, it says, you know, just kind of paraphrasing, it says, you know, look, the people are one, and now there's nothing that they want to do that's going to be withheld from them. It's because this wicked group of, of people were united. They had one mind. The Lord said, well, nothing's going to be withheld from them. And so he, he fixed that really quick by <laughs> giving all these different people different languages, and they couldn't communicate any longer, and uh, that breaks up unity pretty fast. You know, when you speak a different language, it's kind of hard to flow together. It's true in the church too. If you know, if we're speaking a different language, that's kind of a phrase for we have different thoughts and different ways of doing things and desires. It's hard to flow together. But when we're all aligned to God's way that is higher than ours, then we can flow in unity, and nothing will be withheld from the people of God in that way. And so, back to David. So David is in this position. He's bringing the whole nation to unity. You know, and, and they had one desire. They wanted to bring the ark back. They wanted to bring the presence of God back to, to the new city, the city of David, and that was going to be the capital. And they, they had a similar desire to us. Like they wanted the presence of God in their midst. That's what we're, we want, right? We're praying in our prayer meetings and praying for revival because we want his presence to be in our midst, right? And when his presence is in our midst, right, there's breakthrough, there's deliverance, right? Speaking in a spiritual sense, bondage is broken. Uh, and so, you know, in this situation with King David, he's our model to want to bring the presence of God and put it in the forefront of our families, of our lives, of our church, and so forth. And we restore his presence through unity as we flow together. But also it's as we do things God's way and follow his pattern and the way he wants us, wants to lead us and so forth. And I know I've probably shared this so many times, probably like 
I'm going to share this again, but I am because I want, it's, I want this to be in, in our spirits. But I've shared so often about uh, how I listened to an old world map tape of Pastor Bailey preaching and he invited Sister Bailey to come and she shared a, just that little something that God had spoken to her, but it just stuck with me. And she was, this was back when the charismatic revival was kind of the wave was going out of that. And so they were, they were in revival and experienced it and sensed it going out and looking for the next one. And then Sister Bailey said, the Lord shared something to her about the next revival that we're still waiting for. All right. But, but the Lord spoke to Sister Bailey. He said, in past revivals, I came on man's terms. But in the next revival, I will come on my terms. And that has, I've never forgotten that. And it kind of made me realize if I want to take part in how God is going to move in, you know, and be used by God in that sense, I better be flowing with his plan, doing things his way, get used to doing things his way, to being on his terms and not my own. Because I mean, God will allow us to walk to a degree Maybe we're doing things partly his way and partly our way. That works for a while anyway. You know, eventually we might stumble if we hold on to our ways. But God said if we want to be used fully, then we have to flow with his ways, his terms, his pattern. All right? We have to come to under that way, you know, of his wisdom, his pattern of holiness, his truth, his mercy having an obedient ear, being led by his spirit. And so we have to so closely stick to the pattern that God has given to us in his word. And, and, I, and I mentioned David. I mean, he learned a huge lesson with the, the situation with Uzzah, right? I mean, he had perfect motives. I mean, there's, you can't fault his motives. He wanted to bring the ark back. He wanted to bring the presence of God back. And, you know, he did it with great joy. But the mistake he made is he didn't follow God's way, his pattern of doing it. And what did it bring? It brought a death and a separation. And so, cross, we know the story. They didn't think to inquire of how should they bring the ark up, right? If they'd read the law, the ark was only to be carried by the priests upon the shoulders, right? And it was to be covered and with skins and so forth. And so they didn't follow that pattern. Instead, they followed the pattern of the Philistines, right? which speaks of, of the natural way of, of the flesh and human thinking and so forth. So they put the ark in a cart, thinking they could carry it up to Jerusalem. And it opened the door to instability, uncertainty, and danger. And it led to man trying to touch what was holy. You know, that's a dangerous place when... Man thinks he can touch what's holy for God. That's God's. He did what he thought was right in his natural mind without consulting the wisdom from above. You know, James talks about those two aspects of wisdom. Right, there's the wisdom from below, which is human wisdom, based on our perspective. And that's really a dangerous place to be, isn't it? Because we have no idea whether we're touching what is holy or what is not holy or what, you know, whatever God has in his plan and his purpose. 
if we try to do things according to our wisdom. Or maybe it'll put us on a pathway of opening a door to something. You know, it, it, you know maybe the, of our fruit or our inheritance being marred because of a decision we made in, in our natural thinking. You know, Song of Solomon talks about allowing the little foxes to come in and destroy the vine because there's, there's an opening there. And so James says, earthly wisdom opens the door to strife and every evil work. I mean, I, I kind of put that on par with like the love of money as the root of all evil. Right? I mean, earthly wisdom opens the door to every evil work. That makes me scared. Because how easy is it? You know, we can have, like David, the best motives. Right? There's nothing evil in that, in our desire. But what we lacked was that the fear of the Lord to wait. Say, Lord, what do you think? What's your way of doing this? And so it talks about what happened with David in 1 Chronicles 15, 13. And David, after evaluated the situation of Uzzah dying and so forth, he says, uh, 1 Chronicles 15, 13 says, The Lord our God made a breach upon us, for we sought him not after the due order. So this is a lesson for the, the church, for the people of God you know, whether we're praying for revival or just walking in our spiritual journey, it's so vital to say, Lord, what's your plan? Or what do you think? Before I just kind of respond and give a response from my, what I think is right, we just want to make sure. You know, but sometimes that's how it operates. You know, sometimes we have to, God's not speaking. And so we say, well, what seems to be the best situation? You know, sometimes that's the answer. It's like, well, I submit it to God. He didn't give me direction, but yet this is what I'm feeling. And sometimes I'll check it with leadership. You know, we, we follow the steps of wisdom. Other times God speaks and he says, don't do it. And then there's the struggle. Well, I want to do it, but I've got to lay that down because that's the way of wisdom. But here's what David said of this. Because of this, he said, the Lord, our God made a breach upon us because we sought him not after the due order. He made a breach. You know, a breach is a separation. No one, yeah, I think, you know, no one raised their hands if you said, who wants to be a separated from God? Who wants to have a breach? Right? That's never our desire, but it can be the outcome if we don't seek God for wisdom. And so that was a big lesson that David learned. But there's another account that we can also connect with this we see in David's life because that, that's really the, the one where he didn't, well, there's other things, but you know, when we're talking about getting the plan from God, where he, he didn't do it, even though he had good intentions. But yet there's other times when he is an example of one who got the plan from the Lord. One's in 1 Chronicles 14, verse 9. It, and it, we can read here, it says, The Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up? Will you deliver them? And God said, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hands. And so David came to Belperazim, and he smote them there with his army. And, and David said of that, and probably inspired by God through this victory that he obtained, he said, God has broken in upon my enemies uh, by my hand, like the breaking forth of waters. 
Therefore, they called the name of that place Baal Perazim, which represents a name of the Lord, meaning the Lord of the breakthrough, the breaking forth. And so this is one of those occasions where he obtained his success by inquiring of God and he got his battle plan from the Lord. But in this instance, he experienced one of the names of God, Baal Perazim, the Lord of the breakthrough. And so God revealed himself as David obtained his wisdom from God. You know, we need God as the Lord of the breakthrough to manifest himself. The breaking forth of waters like a tsunami. There's very few powers in the earth that can compare itself to a large body of water moving in one direction. It can just remove everything in its path and there's nothing left standing. Um, you know, at one point I knew, or at least I heard like of the, 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 the level of, of, you know, like a cubic yard of water, like the pressure that that has. And it's immense. Just, you know, just in that amount has a lot of force to move against something. But when you have a whole wave, it's like an immeasurable force. It just wipes things clean. That's really scary in the natural, but in the spirit, we want that force released upon what opposes us, what is going to keep us in our pathway from experiencing what God has for us. The word is interesting. Uh, for the breaking forth of waters, you know, the breaking forth, it's the Hebrew word paretz. I had to listen to a thing this morning. I think I got that. But it's, the, it's actually the same word you, David used in 1 Chronicles 15, back when he said the Lord made a breach upon us. The word breach is the exact same word as, breaking, as a breaking forth. And so in one instance, David did things his way and there was a breach. But in another, he followed the plan of God and there was a breaking forth. You know, we're going to experience that word one way or another. It just depends on how are we going to approach it. And so in reality, the outcome of our life or whether we'll flow with revival or a breakthrough takes place, it hinges on a single thing. Will we be those who obtain our plan and our direction from heaven. If we do, if we walk according to God's plan, there's a breaking forth. If we walk according to our plan, there's a breach, which is a separation. That's so scary to me. Lord, keep us from walking in our own way because the, the only outcome of that is a separation and a breach from the presence of God. It separates us, you know, in a measure, and it might just keep getting bigger and bigger the more we walk in our own wisdom. And so that's where we want to say, Lord, keep me from walking in my own way and making my own decisions, keeping my own counsel, but I want to walk according to the plan of heaven so that there's a breaking forth. There's one last aspect I want to just look at. Um, Another example of David, and it really speaks of an, one of the issues that we can have in trying to obtain wisdom from heaven. I would love it if you could just come to the Lord and say, Lord, what's your plan? And he'd give it to you, and you could walk in it. That would be so wonderful. 
But for some reason, God does not always work like that. He does sometimes, and I love that. I love it when, you know, you you just come to God and he, he quickens something to your spirit and you know what to do. And there's times we'll experience that. There's other times when we have to wait and we have to seek. We have to knock. Lord, what's your plan? We don't hear anything. Lord, I really need your plan. <laughs> and we have to keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. But God promises that door of wisdom will open and he'll share, he'll speak to us. You know, David kind of experienced that in another situation where he was again facing the Philistines. And, and I'm going to paraphrase it you now. He, he said, Lord, what's your plan? God did reply, but the reply was totally different. You know, he, if he had just gone on pre, with the previous plan, he probably would have lost because the Philistines, they were, they were going to be ready for him. And so God's reply was, no, you're not going to go up. This time you're going to go to a certain position and wait. That's not something any of us like to hear. Lord, what's your plan? I want you to go here and wait. That's against our nature. That's, that's kind of against how we like to operate. We, we like it now. We like it quick. You know, we like our pizzas delivered in 30 minutes or less or they're free. But yet there's times when we have to say, Lord, I'll wait for you. And David had to go to the place and wait. And what was he waiting for? Until he sensed movement from heaven. He heard the sound in the mulberry trees. And, he, and God was saying, you're going to sense my movement in a different way. You're going you're to sense me moving in the trees. They were probably paying a lot of attention, not to the enemy, but to the trees. You see the trees moving yet? Are they? But that's how God wanted to work. That was his plan of wisdom. And so there's times we'll have to wait and we'll have to become very spiritually sensitive or just cry out to those who for counsel who are spiritually sensitive. I need wisdom. I need to know what to do in this situation. Saul didn't learn that lesson very well, did he? You know, I mean, he faced the Philistines and there was a time when he was supposed to wait and he wasn't supposed to even wait that long. He just had to wait for Samuel to offer a sacrifice. The appointed day came and he was expecting him in the morning, but he didn't come. The day kept getting later and later and people started to leave. Soldiers were kind of melting away and he thought, if I don't do something here, I'm not going to have an army left. And so his testimony was, well, I'll force myself. You know, it was hard, but I forced myself to make a sacrifice. You know, I, I just had to do it on my own. And that's a scary thing to do, too. Well, God didn't show up, so I had to do it on my own. Well, okay, if you want to live like that, that's you stepping out from under the umbrella of God, and then you will be on your own. And he was. As soon as he offered it, of course, Samuel showed up and said, What are you doing, Saul? And he said to him, you've done foolishly. Your kingdom shall not continue. You know, often when it comes to waiting, we're afraid of what we will lose if we wait. But in reality, it should be the opposite. We should be afraid of what we will lose if we move too soon without God or do things on our own understanding. 
So David waited. And I, and I love what it says, you know, because he followed his commandments. He, you know, he waited for the timing of heaven and then attacked and he defeated the Philistines. And it says that in First Chronicles 14, 17, it says the fame of David went out into all the lands and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. He wasn't afraid of the enemy. The enemy was afraid of him. Why was that? Because they knew he would never lose because he was always following the plan of God. You know, we can be weak. You know, we can be, you know, have our own if issues, right? We all have issues where God's trying to deal with us and put his finger on our lives and have things where we know I need to change and so forth. But you know, the enemy will always fear us if no matter what, where we are, in the cycle of God cleansing us or whatever layer of our onion God's trying to peel off and get to things in our hearts, the enemy will always fear us if our default is to follow the plan from heaven of the decisions we make in our lives. Because we will always get the victory. He will always lead us in victory. He'll always lead us to triumph because we're following the plan of heaven. And we're on the winning side. The enemy knows he's on the losing side. And he knows those who follow the plan of God are on the winning side. And so as we consider the days we're living in, you know, our desire is to bring in the presence of God. We want revival to flow, but we realize we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to be flowing with wisdom and flowing with his pattern. Lord, what is your plan? What's your purpose in my life? What's your purpose in the situation I'm facing? What, what is your plan? What do you want me to do? And as we do that, as we follow it, that's when we can experience him as the God who breaks forth upon our enemies or upon the obstacles that we're facing, upon those principalities and power, making a way for his presence to come into our midst, to dwell in our midst. And Lord, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of wisdom, that you're the voice of wisdom continually crying out in the corner of the streets, in the high places, Lord, and that your voice is continually speaking to us, Lord, the way of wisdom. And Lord, we just come confessing, Lord, that at times we have followed our own way. Lord, we just want to repent of that, Lord, of doing what seems good to us, and not placing an, a, a greater emphasis and the most important emphasis on what you want and on what you desire. Lord, just come and cleanse us afresh from that. Oh God, just come and cleanse us. Oh Lord, we pray. And Lord, that you would just cause us to be people who would rely and rest in your wisdom by, by constantly crying out to you that we would know your plan, your plan of attack, your plan for the steps we should take. Oh, Lord, make us a people of wisdom. Lord, bring us under the mantle of wisdom, we ask. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.